BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to the Science of Success. Introducing your host, Matt Bodner. Welcome to the Science of Success, the number one evidence-based growth podcast on the internet with more than 5 million downloads and listeners in over 100 countries. In this episode, I've got Austin in the studio with me. Austin, what's up? What's going on, Matt? What's going on, everybody? It's good to be here. And I'm really excited to be turning the wheel over to Austin. He is going to be taking the lead on this episode. He's going to be the one interviewing Robin. And I'm really excited for all the wisdom and the insights that Austin brought to this conversation. Yeah, it was really great. And you couldn't really pick a better guest for, for me to take the wheel on this one. Robin's just such a joy to talk to. Uh, we go deep into a lot of his content in the past, obviously a very extensive background in the FBI. And, and one of the things I really enjoyed about the interview was his storytelling. It's, it's extremely engaging. It's extremely insightful. So looking forward to it. Excited to be taking the mic for a little while. And of course, I would welcome any feedback or insights. So uh, let's start the conversation. Shoot me an email at austin at successpodcast.com and we'll go from there. And as longtime listeners will know, Austin is my business partner. He's the producer of the show. He's been around since the very early days of the podcast. I'm really excited to be bringing him more into the content. He's going to be joining me for more interviews, more conversations, and he's already been a part of a number of episodes that we've done. So uh, with that, I'll turn things over to Austin and we'll get started with the episode. But I really couldn't have picked a better interview to start my first solo interview with, uh, and it's Robin Dreek. In this interview, we really dug deep into some of the stories from Robin's past, including a lot of points in his new book. These stories include everything from being in New York City near the towers when they fell to recruiting a Russian spy asset. I mean, some really intense stories, and it flows like an episode of Homeland or something out of a spy novel. Then we go really deep into the six-step system Robin has outlined to predict people's future behavior, what motivates them, and some of the hard truths about behavior prediction. Now, are you a fan of the show? Do you like what you hear and you want to learn more? If you do, head to our website and sign up for our email list. You're going to get a ton of great information. We send out emails every week with some curated content every Monday. We call it Mindset Monday that we've really been ingesting that has made a really actionable impact on our lives and that we want to share with you. On top of that, you're going to get a free course we created called How to Create Time for What Matters Most. And you'll just have an open line of communication between myself and Matt and you. So if this sounds like something you're interested in, go to the website, www.successpodcast.com and sign up for the newsletter today. Are you at the gym? Are you on the go? That's fine. Just text the word SMARTER, that's S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to 44222, and that will sign you up for the email list as well. Now, if you haven't had a chance, I recommend going back and listening to last week's episode with James Clear. James, like Robin, a second-time guest on the show, but an incredible interview that delivered a ton of value. In that episode, Matt and James showed you exactly how to build the habits and routines that you need to succeed, how to break down what makes powerful habits, and really share what I think is, is really one of the most important points, which is how to stay motivated and productive no matter what happens. All that and more with Matt and our guest, James Clear, from last week's episode. 
Now, without further ado, I present to you our interview with Robin Dreek. Robin Dreek is a best-selling author, professional speaker, trainer, facilitator, and retired FBI special agent and chief of the Counterintelligence Behavioral Analysis Program. Robin has taken his life's work of recruiting spies and broken down the art of leadership, communication, and relationship building into five steps to trust and six signs of who you can trust. Since 2010, Robin has been working with large corporations as well as small companies in every aspect of their business, whether it's newly promoted leaders, executives, sales teams, customer relations, everything, Robin has you covered. Robin's crafted his people formula for quick results and maximum success. He is also the author of the book, The Code of Trust, and his latest book, which we discussed in this interview, Sizing People Up, a veteran FBI agent's user manual for behavior prediction. We hope you enjoy the show. Robin, welcome back to the Science of Success. Hey, it's a great place to be back too. So I appreciate you having me back. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. It's been a while. For listeners, obviously, who may have not listened to the first episode you had with us back in 2017, just tell everybody a little bit about yourself, what you do, and kind of your story. I know it's a lot of ground to cover, but just give us some context here for those who may not know. Sure. I'll give you the the quick bullet points on it. So uh, I'm a 92 Naval Academy graduate. From there, went in the Marine Corps. From there, in 1997, I went into the FBI. And in the FBI, I did nothing but counterintelligence, so basically recruited spies, and I served in New York, Norfolk, FBI headquarters, Quantico, Virginia, and Fredericksburg, Virginia. And in 2010, I took over as a chief of the counterintelligence behavioral analysis program and retired a couple of years ago. And since 2010, I've been running my own company, People Formula, which is all about developing trust and relationships for every aspect of your life. That's a nice little summary there. I can see that you've, uh, <laughs> you've, you've done that a time or two. On top of all that, you failed to mention writing some pretty kick-ass books, oh, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah, so I got three books out. My first one, I self-published back when I was still working at Quantico. It's called It's Not All About Me, The Top 10 Techniques for Building Quick Rapport with Anyone. And my wife routinely holds that book up in front of me daily and says, hey, remember <laughs> this. It's not all about you. Then the next one that you know we met on and we chatted before, was, which was The Code of Trust that came out in yep. 2017. And that is a book about the behaviors that you need to exhibit in order to inspire trust to build good, healthy relationships. And my current one, which is called Sizing People Up, which is all about assessing others for trustworthiness. But I quickly redefine trustworthiness because that can be very subjective and can be fraught with a little danger a little oftentimes. But it actually comes down to predictability of what people are going to generally probably do in different situations. And really for the main point of it is how can we understand people at a much deeper level so we can continue to build upon those great healthy relationships, both personal, professional, and in today's world, it's extremely applicable to virtual as well. So it's, you know, for every aspect of our lives and even today when we're dealing with COVID-19, people are doing a lot of online interacting, training, selling, leading, and it's all completely applicable to every aspect. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. I mean, your work is so fascinating. It's something that I, I kind of nerd out about in general, but just the whole idea of like how you establish rapport, how you go about these relationships, especially given your background, it's extremely counterintuitive to a lot of what I think people say. I mean, even going through your bio, I think a lot of people probably recognize some of those acronyms. They would have kind of assumed from television and everything how your life must have been, but the way you actually were as effective as you were and to have a career as long as you did and are continuing to have that sort of influence. It's, it's kind of counterintuitive. Yeah, and thanks. It, it absolutely is. You know, from that background, you can hear I am a <laughs> I am a biologically genetically coded hardcore type A, which you know, in all human beings, we are genetically coded for survival and, and self prosperity. You know, so we are we always are looking to self promote in most situations. But if you're wanting to develop trust and healthy relationships, you've got to make it about others. You know, you have to mm -hmm. understand how do you make a conversation about everyone else but yourself. How do you become a resource for the success of others? Because ultimately, if you're not talking in terms of what's important to someone else in terms of their safety, security, and prosperity, you're wasting your breath because really no one is paying attention unless it's important to them. And so this whole process that I came to you know, understand, that's why I call my books my manuals on how not to be the moron I was born to be, <laughs> it's about – 
how do you do this? It's a subjective art form that half the population is born with, and the other half of us are trying to figure out what they're doing, and yet the ones that are doing it naturally have no idea how to articulate it because they're just being who they are. So mm. I like breaking down this this beautiful poetic mosaic of art into a paint-by-number for folks like me. Yeah, I love it. I absolutely love it. And I, I'm curious too, kind of taking a step back. So, you know, last time you were on the show back in 2017 to discuss the code of trust, you know, very kind of counterintuitive to a lot of people's kind of gut feelings on how to build relationships. The new book, Sizing People Up, is a little bit different. You know, how was it different writing the two books and kind of how did you go about sort of in some ways kind of expanding on but adding to the work you'd done in the past? It was funny. It was a natural progression that happened. So Code of Trust came out and I live the code. I try my best to live the Code of Trust every day, which is, you know, how do you make it about everyone else but yourself? You know, you seek their thoughts and opinions, talk in terms of their priorities, validate people and give them choices. That makes sure that ensures the conversations about them. And so what happened was because the Code of Trust, in order to inspire trust in others, you have to really focus on people very, very deeply to understand them. And what I was realizing was, wow, the more I understood people, the more predictable they became. And and so there's some some very easy truths about human beings. And one of them is that human beings are exceptionally predictable. And this is what I found after living the code of trust for a while was that every human being is genetically and biologically coded to take care and support our own safety, security, and prosperity. We will always act in our own best interest in terms of safety, security, and prosperity. So all I have to do now is figure out what you think is in your best interest, and I now know what you're going to do. And so that's where it all started from. And so I really took a deeper dive to understand, all right, what are some signs that I can actually reasonably predict someone's going to do that you know makes them more predictable? Again, because I want to understand people. So Code of Trust is about my behavior that I can do to inspire trust. The next book, this one, Sizing People Up, is actually really focusing on the behavior of others and assessing them. Yeah, I love that. And then the point of, you know, the one thing you can almost always count, uh, can always predict people to do is to act in their own best interest was really huge for me. I want to come back to that. But one of the things that grabbed me, and, and I really can't recommend the book enough, was kind of the way that you utilize storytelling to get a lot of these points across. I mean, you start the book out with an incredibly powerful story. And then it kind of goes into this longer narrative and it, it really reads like something out of Homeland. I mean, I'm a big like Homeland Showtime fan, but it, it really grabs you. Do you mind kind of sharing, like setting the stage for what the narrative is and how you kind of start these stories? Because I, I mean, once I started, I, I couldn't stop. Yeah. And thanks. It's actually it's so funny, not funny, but kind of tragic at the same time right now. We're kind of going through the same type of time period. So the book really kicks off at uh, 9-11 in New York City. So in my career in the FBI, I started in New York City in 1997 in Manhattan, and I was there until around 2005 or 2006. So I was there. My office building was about five or six blocks away from the World Trade Center. And I was in the office. Actually, I was on the street when the North Tower got hit by the plane, the first plane coming down the Hudson. And so I immediately you know, went up to my floor, which I worked on, which was the 25th floor and 26th Federal Plaza. And me and a bunch of other agents are, you know, looking at this, this, this phenomenon that was going on and, and it was, it was looking like a movie and, and, but it didn't really hit you yet because remember, this is when the first tower had gotten hit. And so I'm, I'm watching the smoke starting to expand on the floor in which it went in and it's getting worse. And I remember thinking to myself, how, man, how, how the heck are they going to put that fire out? And then the South Tower got hit, and I remember that came through like a fireball, like we all seen on TV. And you, when you're watching it live, it, it looked like a movie. But the the thing that really started striking me right away was I was counting. You're you're watching and you're seeing what you thought was debris falling from the North Tower, and when you took a closer look, you realized your your mind wasn't really wrapping around it, but you actually it was you're seeing arms and legs flailing on the way down. And I remember I I, I was counting. I was actually, it was weird. I was trying to time in between what I've seen, you know, people jumping to see if it was getting worse or better. And I was on number eight when the South Tower got oh hit. My God. Yeah. So the whole thing starts off there. There was an engine that landed about 30 or 40 feet from my car. The plane that hit the South Tower, you know, one of the engines flew up far enough north to land pretty close to my car. And so the whole thing kicks off with, you know, me in New York City, you know, I, I'd been an agent from 97 to when this happened in 2001. So about four, four and a half years or so. What had happened was, you know, and I explained in the book, one of my 
brand new confidential human sources I had. We call them Leo in the book. And again, I, I protect identities of everyone and I split and splice, you know, all this, all the cases together so that I don't give up anything as otherwise the uh, FBI pre-publication review would have been all over me. <laughs> sure, sure. But it really kicks off with Leo. I'd worked Russians, you know, it's most of my career. And especially to that point, it's nothing but. And I remember going to Leo and said, hey, we need to kind of retool ourselves here and do something different and go after, you know, folks from the Middle East to try to get some intelligence so we can do something to help this. And yeah, he came up with an individual pretty rapidly that was tied to a, a leader of, a, of another country, you know, Middle Eastern country. I don't want to name anything, but the, the challenge at that time was, you know, can I trust Leo? Can I trust this individual that says he's got these ties to this foreign leader and is willing to share information? And then how do I inspire my management to trust me as well with only four, four and a half years in that I'm not going to cause some international incident? So it was really a critical time to really figure out very rapidly, you know, like I have an opportunity to do something to help and make a difference. And yet I have all these different factors, you know, and I'm the spoke in the hub on all this. And how do I get everyone on board to move things forward? Yeah, I mean, it really is. It grabs you from the beginning and it, it reads like fiction. It's it's like something out of a spy novel. And, and obviously you lived it. So it definitely is the source material there. But when you were going through, especially like in the first contact you made with the Leo character, you know, it's it's cool how it reads like fiction. It's a story, but there are lessons embedded in the story that you then come back and outline more clearly. And I want to dig into some of the six step system that you've outlined and everything. But something you mentioned as you were talking to Leo the first time was, you know, he would come out, he thought he was drunk, he was like making a drink, but he'd have like weird moments of clarity, you know, his eyes were piercing and and some of the stuff he did, you sort of reacted in a way that you even note in the book, you know, if I knew then what I know now, I wouldn't have reacted that way. And one thing that really stuck out to me too, kind of even before the Leo mentioning of Leo's story was, you know, regarding gut feelings. The quote you had was, you know, I had a great deal of confidence in gut feelings back then. Now I don't. What's the problem with our gut feelings and our gut reactions when we're sort of reacting to a situation? Yeah. So gut feelings is that intuition kind of aspect that people have or will sometimes depend upon a lot. And I'm not discounting it. I'm just, I like to kind of bifurcate different aspects of it. And so there's one aspect of that gut feeling that can really undermine us a little bit in assessing others. And that is liking someone or disliking someone. Because liking, what if you like someone, it's not a paintbrush that, you know, everyone does this or, or no one does this. You know, extremes on anything are usually fraught with danger anyway. But in general, when you like someone, it's because you share the same morals, ethics, beliefs, background, interests, you know, things like that. And so if you like someone, you think you can trust them. But unfortunately, just because you share, you know, all these kind of similarities doesn't mean you can actually trust them to perform a certain function. And what I greatest analogy I use is is like flying. I'm a I'm a pilot and I volunteer as an angel flight pilot. And just because, you know, I trust you doesn't mean I can throw you the keys to the plane and trust you to fly us and not kill us. You know, I mean, liking, you know, so if I like you, it doesn't mean I can trust you to fly us and not kill us because that's not in your skill set. because I can't, a lot of people overlap that liking with trust and no. And so intuition is kind of very subjective. And, and one of the things that goes into intuition is whether you like someone or don't like someone, it creates a, a very big bias in our minds when we regard people. So that's one area I like to kind of try to avoid because it's kind of fraught with peril. Yeah, it makes perfect sense as to why it would be. And I think even now, you know, kind of as we look at a country, it's sometimes can seem very polarizing. And a lot of times we're making our opinions on situations simply based on whether or not we even think we might like somebody or dislike somebody. You know, there and you brought up a great point there. You know, polarizing is absolutely right. You know, so just think about President Trump. We don't have to talk politics at all. Here's why I think the country is so divided on this is because he's probably arguably he was the most well-known candidate to run for president in our history because he had done so much, you know, reality TV. He had been out there for so long. I mean, I remember in New York years and years ago when he had Trump Airlines. He had, I mean, he had, he's been around a long time. And when someone's around that long and they are that well-known, you form whether you like him or don't like him. And on either side, when you have that bias, it does not matter Anything that person does, you see it through an optic of liking or disliking. And that's why 
both sides are really dug in. And it's, I mean, just ask yourself, you know, my, there's members of my family that don't like him. And so I asked one of them, you know, when I came up with this theory about why he's so polarizing. And I remember they said, well, I don't believe that. I, that's not what I think at all. I said, okay, well, help me understand. So you don't like him, correct? I said, yes. I said, all right. Is there anything he could do that you would agree with? Oh, absolutely not. I said, there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, so you just think of the reactions that both sides have regarding him. You know, the people that like him, he can do no wrong in anything. The people who don't like him, there's nothing he can do right. So it, it's just, and it's, you know, and when I brought this up before, the same can be said of Hillary Clinton as well, because she's been around a long time. And so it's a very polarizing time, I think. And it's because, you know, social media and media is so prevalent in everyone's lives that everyone really knows everyone, maybe not for who they are, but at least they've been out there. So the, you get that liking or disliking bias in there, and it really clouds the ability to objectively look at cause and effect of behaviors. You know, it's interesting for me personally, I find that like I'm the kind of person that typically I, I will I will like somebody, you know, if they pass pass the gut test, I'll like them like and until they give me a reason to I typically trust people. Sure. Problem is, is as I go through life, you know, the older you get, the more experience you have. And I'm kind of starting to realize, you know, well, maybe that like blind trust at the front is not warranted. Maybe just because you kind of look like me, I shouldn't just automatically think that I kind of like you. What are some things that we can do to kind of maybe take a step back and start to sort of develop a natural sort of assessment versus just kind of jumping in and liking or not liking or trusting just because, you know, that's how we've always done or how we've always interacted with people that may look or act like us? Well, and that's a great question. And I'm like you, and I think a lot of people are, you know, I, I start from the default of liking, liking and trust, you know, mm -hmm. because, that gives me the ability to have curiosity because if I have curiosity about you, I'm going to find out about you. When I find out about you, then I'm going to start being able to assess unbiasedly. And so I'm, I'm just like you, not a problem at all. But the first I, – I think – People always ask me, so what's what, what's something I can do really fast to start assessing someone whether you know I should trust them or not trust them? And I said language is probably you know, and again, it's number five on my list. But language is really easy to quickly assess. So what I'm looking for in language, and and you can assess this in the first couple minutes when you're dialoguing with someone. So are they making the conversation about themselves or are they making the conversation about you? And so how do you do that? How do you assess that? So people. Here's another truism about human beings. We are genetically coded to want to belong to meaningful groups and organizations, affiliate with them, and be valued by them. And so language that demonstrates that is seeking thoughts and opinions, talk in terms of that person's priorities, validate who they are, their thoughts and opinions without judging them, and give them choices. So what I'm looking for rapidly in a conversation with someone is are they seeking my thoughts and opinions? Are they talking in terms of my priorities, my needs, wants, dreams, and aspirations, things that are important to me? Are they validating me without arguing with me or challenging me or judging me? And are they, if appropriate, giving me choices? Because that's what I'm doing when I'm interacting with someone because that's how I inspire trust. And so what I'm looking for is, is that person at least 50% of the time doing those things with me? And, and, and now if they're saying those things and have at least one of those things in every sentence they say – now I'm going to look for nonverbal congruence. In other words, I'm looking for good, high comfort, nonverbal displays while they're saying these things, indicating that they have high comfort and confidence with making the conversation about me. So most likely this is someone who's stepping off on a right foot with me. So high comfort things I'm looking for is smiling, a little bit of head tilted to the side, exposing the side of the neck and the crowded artery, saying, hey, I trust you not to rip my jugular out. Mm -hmm. I'm looking for eyebrow elevation rather to, than compression. Basically, anything that's coming up and out and open with the body. You know, it's just saying I'm open and accommodating. So when you see that kind of nonverbal display with someone using words like that, that's a really good first indicator. You know, it's interesting, and I, I really want to follow your lead here. I really want to seek your thoughts on one additional thing right before I dive into what I know one of your priorities is, is to kind of get into the real six-step step system, which just hearing language, you know, I can't wait to hear your thoughts on. But, you know, you mentioned predicting behavior of others is not about good or evil or truth or fiction. And then I'm, I'm curious, how does that tie back to, you know, that people will always act in their own interests? Because it's not clear cut, but when I when I doing research, I noticed you'd said, you know, it's not about good or evil, truth or fiction. It's more nuanced, but then everyone's going to act in their own self-interest. What's that relationship there? Like, how do you kind of suss out what might be your good or your evil and how predicting behavior kind of goes into to how you view what those interests may be that other people have? So 
people act in their own best interests comes down to what they think their best interests are and their context. And so this is all about where context comes in. And understanding someone else's context without judging them is something that I learned over time. I come from the Northeast. I was born in Manhattan. I grew up north of the city. You know, I'm an extrovert from New York City, which makes me exceptionally judgmental. You know, you can cap that with my personality type, which is on the Myers-Briggs ENTJ, extroverted, intuitive thinking judger, which means, you know, life's natural leader, the executive. Oh, no, when you're 20 years old, I called it narcissistic, megalomaniac jerk. <laughs> you know, when you put all those things together, you get a very, very judgmental human being. Mm-hmm. But when I was in a line of work for as long as I was, you know, 21 years, here's another guarantee. If you knock on someone's front door and your job is to develop a relationship to hopefully gain intelligence to protect the national security of the United States, and you knock on that front door with a preconceived notion of right and wrong, of evil or good, and someone comes to the door that doesn't Mm. look like you or speak like you, and you're going to judge them, I can guarantee what's going to happen. Shields up, no information, you're going to fail. And if I fail, that means you know, intelligence collection fails, which means national security is compromised, all because I was too full of myself to get over myself to understand their context and how they saw the world through their optic. So it really comes down to this whole thing is understanding what they think is in their best interest, not judging what they think is in their best interest and understanding why and how they think that way. So in other words, have curiosity. You know, so I, I started building a lot of muscle memory over never being shocked by who I encountered what their thoughts and beliefs were, and just being curious about it. Because once I started understanding, because that's what validation is, you know, that third thing out of the four things I say you do is validate someone without judging them. doesn't mean I'm agreeing with you. It means I'm seeking to understand you. Human beings don't necessarily need you to agree with them. Human beings are just want to be heard and understood at a, at a very primal level. Because again, when someone feels like they're heard and understood, they feel like they're being accepted part of that tribe because our genetics are saying if you're not part of a tribe or a collective, the likelihood of your survival is slim to none. So every time it's being demonstrated that we're accepting and understanding, our brain is releasing dopamine. You know, all the pleasure centers in the brain are firing. So that's where, you know, you have to build that understanding of trying to dig deep to understand context. Again, no right, no wrong, no evil or good, just understanding. It's interesting. I think that's probably at least, you know, in my mind where a lot of kind of like popular culture or popular opinion might get all of this wrong is it's not just so clear cut. It's it's all about context and understanding how they view the world so you can understand what their priorities are. Yeah. You know, you can take it at a really light level to understand it, you know, because I remember once someone asked me, you know, or quite a few times, hey, Robin, you worked Russia most of your career. Are you a Russian expert? You know, as they think, hey, if you've done something for over 10 years, it makes you an expert in that field. And all I said back to him, I said, well, you know, you lived in the United States your entire life. Are you an American expert? <laughs> yeah, that's a really, really good point. I mean, just even my own state, you know, I live in Virginia. It's not even a state. It's a commonwealth. You know, if you go out to what we call the I-81 corridor in the west, you know, so it's Interstate 81. You start in the north, which is in Winchester, Virginia. You go all the way down to Bristol, Virginia. You probably go through at least three different dialects and accents, ways of living life. And then you have the Richmond area, which is different. You have the Norfolk and the Tidewater area, northern Virginia, which is all transplants around D.C. I mean, it's and that's just in one commonwealth. And the context that everyone has about how they see the world to their particular optic is very, very different in all that. I mean, when you look at the political map for states or my commonwealth, you know, our state has a Democratic governor and our Democratic senators. So it's blue in those areas. But when you look at the voting population across the state, it's very, very red. And that just shows you it's just a different demographic, different context, different belief systems, ethnic, you know, all these things are just different. No right or wrong. It's just what it is. And so diving deep to understand that is really, really important because that's what, again, people are seeking. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. 
BeContinued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Yeah, I love that point. I think it's lost on so many folks. Switching gears here a little bit. So in sizing people up, you've got this six-step system outlined and you already dove into language, which actually just hearing you explain it yielded a lot more than I than I was even expecting. Do you mind sharing that system with us and maybe going, you know, I don't want to give away the farm, but at a high level, kind of watch each of these different this, different steps in the system outlined. Then there's a couple that caught my eye that I, I kind of want to dig into, but, but take us through it if you don't mind. Sure. So these six signs, and there's no one sign that's more important than the other, and you don't have to have all six. These are just you know, indicators of predictability in different aspects and areas. And so the first one is vesting. Vesting is how much is this individual I'm engaged with vested in my success as much as they're vested in their own. And so signs of vesting that you can have in the workplace are simply, you know, if, if my boss is vested in me, he's going to send me, he or she's going to send me to training. They're going to put me in jobs that are going to enhance my resume. They're going to, you know, include me in projects that are good for my career. So that's someone who is invested as much as in me and my success as they are their own. Because they know if I'm successful, they'll be successful. So it's one of those, if you win, I win kind of scenarios. The next is longevity. Longevity is, does this person, individual, are they indicating through their actions, words, and deeds that they see this relationship together as as long or is it a short-term quid pro quo? Signs of longevity are kind of like vesting, but they're more in the area of, you know, we establish traditions together, you know, like we get together for coffee once a month or in today's world, we're having a Zoom happy hour once a week. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, there's all new traditions being established now to demonstrate longevity and a desire to continue long beyond just today. They, you know, your boss gives you projects that aren't due next week, but are maybe, you know, something that's going to be due in a year or two. So that's a good sign of longevity. Reliability. Reliability is the combination of ability as well as diligence to do it. In other words, your competence to do the job that you say you can. In other words, if your resume says you can do something, that's great. But do you actually have the skills and ability and diligence to follow through on it? So I'm looking for reliability. In other words, are they are they just talking to talk? Are they talking to talk and walking the walk? The combination there. Actions. Actions is kind of a, a twofold thing with me. So actions, I'm looking for positive actions that people take. In other words, they say positive things about people behind their back. They don't spread gossip. They don't spread rumors. You know, they're very positive in their actions and their words that they're doing, as well as my favorite part of it is and that is I call it past patterns of key behaviors. In other words, if I see you do a certain task or a job, you know, the same way, like two or three times in a row the likelihood of you doing it the same way four or five and six times is pretty dang high. Unless, mm -hmm. and, and now if it changes and you don't do something the same way, then that means something went sideways in your life. There's a new stimulus that came in there, which gives me curiosity again. All right, so what happened here that caused a change? So that's what actions are about. Language we already went over. I'm looking for seeking my thoughts and opinions, talking in terms of my priorities, validating me, which we just talked about, and empowering me with choices. And finally, sign six is stability. That re relates to emotional stability. So when times of stress and like we're going through right now, are people going off the rails and staying off the rails or do they have the ability to maintain emotional stability and come back to good cognitive thought and process? So out of these six, if I'm using this system to predict behavior, how susceptible would this be to someone who's trying to manipulate us or lie to us? Because it seems to me that one of these, I've experienced someone being able to use one, two, maybe three of these to manipulate, but all six would seem difficult. How, how do we kind of spot someone who might be using these to try to mislead us or manipulate us? I get a lot of questions, a lot about manipulation. <laughs> and, you know, I, as I've said before, I am the counterintelligence spy recruiting guy that I am 100% anti-manipulation. This is a long way around to answer your question, but I have, I have these three anchors that I do, which are my absolute end goals in every situation and encounter I have with every human being. My number one is, is a good, healthy professional relationship. Because if I don't have a good, healthy relationship, everything else will fall apart. Doesn't matter what little milestone I'm trying to achieve in life, you cannot achieve anything without good relationships. You know, I always say, you know, you can have the greatest genetics, biology, and intelligence on the planet, but without relationships, you might as well be a moron on top of a mountain by yourself because you will achieve nothing. Everything comes down to moving forward in life with relationships. So I value that above all. In order to have those, the second step is you have to have open, honest communication, transparency. That's the key that I'm looking for 
to ensure that I don't deal with manipulators. Because people say, how many times do people try to manipulate you, Robin, using the same techniques? And I say, it doesn't happen. So what do you mean it doesn't happen? Well, it doesn't happen because if you're talking in, in such a way which you're using a lot of words, a lot of confusion, or you're trying to beat around the bush on a certain topic or, or whatever it is, and I seek transparency because, again, healthy relationships are based on open dialogue and transparency. If I'm seeking transparency and you're not giving it, that means I'm not ever going to say you're a manipulator. All I'm going to say is that to myself is that you're not looking for a healthy relationship in this lane and I'm going to back away. You know, so I avoid the manipulation. I spot it because if you're not looking to have an open, honest communication and transparency with me in this area, that means, you know, something's off. Might be an attempt at manipulation. And manipulation, people generally don't think of themselves as manipulators. They're trying to get what they want, which is pretty much the same thing. But if they're trying to get what they want, which is fine, but if they're trying to get what they want with use of deception and subterfuge, yes, yeah, manipulation. So I back away. And the other thing I'm looking for, too, is that congruence. So I talked about the congruence between, you know, language and those nonverbal indicators of comfort. I'm looking for the same thing in all these signs. I should be seeing when you're interacting with me and we have a good, healthy relationship, I should see nothing but good comfort nonverbal displays. If I start seeing stress displays where we got a lot of closed body positions, blading away, leaning away, lip compression, eyebrow compression, all the things that are kind of scrunching the body in at the same time, they're trying to say these positive things. That means we have incongruence, and that's what gives us that creepy car, you know, used car salesman's feeling. Mm-hmm. It's that incongruence between good words and, and technique, but feelings and emotions that are completely opposite of that, which gives that negative nonverbal indicators. So that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for transparency and congruence to make sure that we are not dealing with a manipulator. When you look at these six steps, it's interesting. They're not all mutually exclusive because reading through a lot of this, I was reminded of, you know, we've got a company that does restaurant technology and obviously restaurants right now in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis is just upended, right? And one of the things that we do is online ordering. And I was talking to a a large company and they wanted to implement online ordering because right now, you know, curbside and you only have so many phone lines and, and, and yada, yada. And we were talking and Basically, it was like, you know, well, can you, can you weigh fees, do all this? And I was like, sure, you know, we can get very creative. I know it's a, it's a difficult time, you know, but if we're going to waive a lot of fees and we're going to do discounted pricing in the long run, what we're going to need is, you know, at least a year to three year long contract. And then it was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, well, we're not really in a time to sign a long term contract. We just don't know where things are going to be. But trust me. We want a long-term partner, but we want to start with no contract just month to month with the first you know, couple of months waived. And in my head, I was like, okay, so we're going to go month to month. We're going to waive the first three months, but you're not going to put your name down on anything that would you know, tie you to us for any longer than that. So it seemed a little weird to me, but going through like the six-step system and also some of the things you look for in manipulators, like... All the people I talked to were extremely informative. They were extremely transparent. Obviously, they told me the situation. You know, they seem very comfortable. Of course, it's all digital. But the more I kind of read through your system, it was like, you know, I, I don't think they're being intentionally manipulative. I think it's more just laying your cards on the table. Yeah. And showing what is actually a win for me, which then allows me to work to see what would be a win-win. But, you know, if I just went with the one, I'd be like, well, you guys are being dishonest. You're trying to manipulate me into working for free. No, 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 no. We're going to leave it, which would then kind of shut me down to establishing that healthy relationship. But if I can kind of get this full picture, I mean, especially using this framework, like they hit every single box except for longevity, except for longevity, which... I mean, you know, they respond to emails, they pick up phone calls, they're very responsive. But, you know, looking at just longevity, I'd be like, wow, they're trying to manipulate me, which is what I thought until honestly about six hours ago, (laughs) you know, because now I think through and it's like, well, they are reliable. You know, their actions are, they are following through on what they're saying they're going to do. They're very stable in answering the phone. They don't get very emotional about things. You know, it's, it's just, it changes immediately the short term interactions you've been having or not short term, but the recent ones. I mean, it's, it's amazing how this lens can be just put on and immediately kind of change your interactions. And what a great, perfect example that is, too. Because so what they so I don't really talk about it in this. I talk about it in uh, my first book. So what they gave you in, in in return was they gave you a time constraint because a lot of times time constraints make people feel a lot more comfortable because they feel like they have a little more control. 
And so they were giving you all the great signs as you describe it. It's like, all right, they're hitting on everything because the big thing they're hitting on with you is what you said it transparency. Mm -hmm. They're being as transparent, but they gave you a time constraint because people right now are fearful of long term relationships because we don't know what tomorrow is. And so I think it's very reasonable for people to say all these other things in this right way. But so what we don't have right now is the signs of longevity because of fear. But as long as someone is being transparent about their unwillingness to do it, that's trustworthy or that's predictable because they're transparent about it. now if they were him and hawing and trying to make excuses. No, that's someone that's. Yeah, but if you know, but if they're being so transparent, they're giving you all these other positive signs. Yeah, that sounds like a good deal. You know, one of the things, too, and this is kind of sticking in this like sort of business vein, but what role does persistence have in like predicting behavior and establishing the, these relationships? Because, you know, when you think about salespeople, it's like if you're too persistent, you can turn people off and you can clam them up, right? But then by being persistent, you position yourself and sometimes, you know, it could be six months where it's just not a good fit right now. We don't want to do it. But then all of a sudden, something happens and all of a sudden, I want to be your best friend. How do we kind of toe that line between persistence and just kind of being annoying? Yeah. So, persistence is – the annoying persistence is when – Someone is continually badgering you or contacting you, and all they keep doing is talking about what they want. Mm. So my third thing, as I said, I was going to have I have these three anchors, and I only gave you the two. You know, healthy relationships, open, honest communication, transparency. And the third anchor, so it's a good lead in, is I make myself an available resource for the success and prosperity of others without expectation or reciprocity. And so this is where the third anchor comes in with persistence. So I make myself an available resource, meaning I make myself available. I don't impose myself in your life unless you want me to. And I'm available. I don't offer help because that can be very demeaning to some people. I offer my resources because, again, what's sales? What's, what's business? Business is nothing more than understanding the priorities of someone else and offering them resources that you have in terms of those priorities. And so as long as when you're making contact, because I mean, this is, I deal a lot with the finance industry and customer relations and building, these things are long-term relationships of, of building predictability and trust with someone. And so, and how's that work? So you're not badgering someone, as long as you're continually talking in terms of their priorities and knowing what their priorities are. And as you see things in the world shift, that might affect their priorities and you have resources that can help them mitigate those things, that's someone who's continually talking in terms of their priorities. I would not say that's someone who's badgering. That's someone who's continually being available for their success and prosperity as things shift and change. Now, if you keep doing the same thing again and again, that's badgering. But if you keep shifting your resources in terms of them and their changing times, that's someone who's actually paying attention in. You're talking in terms of their priorities. I love that distinction. It's so powerful too. And really, you know, for anyone listening to this who is in the sales field or really in business in general, I, I think that's a huge takeaway in how you should communicate with people that are either your customers or you want to be your customers or really any relationship you have in the workplace. You know, there's a great movie, an older one I absolutely love. It's called Secondhand Lions. And this is about two older guys that came back from serving in the Foreign Legion. They're living out in the middle of nowhere in Texas. And their estranged nephew gets dumped off by another family member. And so this little guy is living in this house. And the whole thing takes place, I think it's in the it's probably in the 50s, late 50s, early 60s. What was really amazing was all these sales, because they heard that these two guys had millions of dollars stashed away in cash. And so you had all these traveling salesmen show up at their property trying to sell them what they wanted to sell to make money to these two older guys. And these guys would sit on the front porch with their two shotguns and they shoot them up in the air, scaring all the <laughs> salesmen off. But there's this one salesman that kept coming back. And after he came back like three times and on the third time he comes back because he saw that they were shooting shotguns. What he came back with, he had a he had a, a skeet, you know, a skeet thing on the back of his car that he towed in there. And he said, hey, I noticed that you were two sporting, you know, guys like yourself. And I got just a perfect thing that only kings use these days. And he set up this trap and skeet thing that shot the clay pigeons out in the air. And he took out a shotgun out of the back of his trunk and he shot it and, he sh and they saw the clay pigeon explode. And so they bought it. And what it demonstrates is all the other salesmen try to sell sell these two older guys the things that they wanted to sell to make money. This guy actually paid attention to their priorities and brought something for them, and they made a good business deal. What a great, great example. So it's called Secondhand Lions? Yeah. It's got Michael Caine and uh, another famous actor. Good, 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 wholesome show. 
Okay, great. Yeah, we try to keep it wholesome here on the show, but I'll be sure oh, to link, be link, link that in the show notes. Robin, I, I've really enjoyed the conversation. I, I know we don't have too much time left. I've got two just kind of quick wrap-up questions, and then we'll let you go. But I'm curious. This is a little out there, but you know, if you could interview yourself, anyone alive or dead today, who would it be? I mean, you've had such a colored career, and you've, you've obviously been extremely successful, and you've been through a lot if you could talk to anybody and pick their brain, who would you pick? Oh my gosh. I'd probably have a whole long list. <laughs> I'm not impressed with fame or fortune or anything. The most impressive people that I admire in life are the ones that are really, really self-aware, that have great humility and humbleness. And so I would say anyone that has demonstrated that, I'd be very, very curious about them. I, I am. I have a good friend of mine that I served with in New York. He rose up to the ranks of the FBI. And now he's, uh, you know, works high level in the state of New Jersey. And I've always, I always asked him, I said, how were you made? <laughs> so I'd be interested by people like, you know, Mother Teresa, Gandhi, Jesus. I mean, all, all the, all the historical figures in, in life that just, you know, seem to elevate themselves beyond to see life with great clarity of, again, not judging, but just for what people were without judging them. Boy, there's, there's a whole lot. Of, yeah. Actually, you know what? Because of when I grew up, I'd probably say the top of my list would probably be Ronald Reagan. Great answer. Yeah, I love to. It's it's even interesting to hear you kind of out loud go through your mind as to what would exemplify that. And even that just says volumes, I think, about you and your character and just kind of how you would even look at someone. I think it'd be easy for a lot of people to say like Elon Musk, you know, like – Steve Jobs or somebody that, you know, obviously a brilliant mind, no no doubt about that, but it really shows a lot about your priorities and what you value to kind of hear you even go through that mental exercise. Uh, thanks. Yeah, I, I love anyone that has the ability to laugh at themselves and self-deprecate is someone that, with a great amount of self-confidence, but not arrogance. <laughs> and those are my favorite people in life. Yeah, I think it's very important to laugh at yourself if you're going to stay sane in today's world. At least I Absolutely. hope that. At least I hope that's the case because I laugh myself a lot. We need it now. Humor, humor will get us through this. There is no doubt. My parting emails on everyone now is uh, stay safe, healthy, and sane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so it's it's so relevant, and I couldn't agree with you more. But last question for you, Robin, and then I want to make sure that everybody has a chance to go find your work and know where to find you. But what's one piece of homework that you would give the audience? I mean, we went through in 2017. What now, given the current current sort of lay of the land, the current predicaments we find ourselves in, you know, what was kind of one piece of homework that you would give the audience to go out and start implementing some of these things that you've written and talked about today? The greatest thing that we have going on right now is the fact that I know we're stuck at home doing a lot of things virtually, but it has not changed what each of us is seeking and craving. And we can still give that to each other, you know, online, which is I mean, if this was going to happen at any point in history, this is probably the best point because we still have the ability to interact. We see each other, whether we're doing Zoom or Skype or something like that. Here's the greatest thing you can do for another human being right now. Seek their greatness and take note of it because here's another guarantee. We're all working on something. You know, every human being is born pretty perfect and the world messes us up for about 19 years and we spend the rest of our lives trying to unscrew it. So, <laughs> so we're all working on something. So seek their greatness, whether it's personal, professional, you know, when you seek their greatness, you're going to start seeing person in a positive manner. And the second thing to do is start taking note of other people's priorities, their needs, wants, dreams, and aspirations, personal, professional, long-term, short-term, and make sure that you're talking in terms of those and start asking yourself, how can I be a resource for this person's success in terms of their priorities? When you start doing those two things, you're going to start seeing relationships get very, very deep very quickly. And when we start doing that for each other, you're going to start seeing that the synergy is going to really start happening because this is what good relationships are built upon. And I don't care whether you're doing a business world, sales world, hedge fund, without good, healthy relationships, you're not going to move forward. And so those are two great things you can do right now to start moving it. Amen. I love that homework. So last, Robin, we want to make sure everybody can find you. What's the best place for them to learn more, of course, buy the book and just dig into your work in general? Absolutely. Peopleformula.com. That's my company, all one word, peopleformula.com. I'm actually in the midst of rolling out my online training courses, the People Formula certification courses. I got one out now. I'm hoping to have another one out this week. 
So want to do a more deeper dive on all my stuff, please go there. You can also reach out for me. There's also YouTube videos of me doing keynotes on there and more podcasts. So there's lots of resources for whatever you want to do. Yeah. And I can't stress this enough. I mean, we don't do this with every guest, but definitely go out there and follow Robin's work. It's something that you'll be able to ingest easily and it'll be entertaining, but it'll also make a huge, huge impact on your life. Again, the book is called Sizing People Up, a veteran FBI agent's user manual for behavioral prediction. Out now, Amazon, all booksellers, check it out. And Robin, thank you so much for coming back on the show. I hope we get to do it again one day, but keep up the good work. Thank you. You guys too. Remember, stay safe, stay healthy, stay sane. Thank you so much for listening to The Science of Success. We created this show to help you, our listeners, master evidence-based growth. I love hearing from listeners. If you want to reach out, share your story, or just say hi, shoot me an email. My email is matt at successpodcast.com. That's M-A-T-T at successpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I read and respond to every single listener email. I'm going to give you three reasons why you should sign up for our email list today by going to successpodcast.com, signing up right on the homepage. There's some incredible stuff that's only available to those on the email list, so be sure to sign up, including an exclusive curated weekly email from us called Mindset Monday, which is short, simple, filled with articles, stories, things that we found interesting and fascinating in the world of evidence-based growth in the last week. Next, you're getting an exclusive chance to shape the show, including voting on guests, submitting your own personal questions that we'll ask guests on air, and much more. Lastly, you're going to get a free guide we created based on listener demand, our most popular guide, which is called How to Organize and Remember Everything. You can get it completely for free, along with another surprise bonus guide by signing up and joining the email list today. Again, you can do that at successpodcast.com, sign up right at the homepage, or If you're on the go, just text the word SMARTER, S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. Remember, the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to a friend, either live or online. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us an awesome review and subscribe on iTunes because that helps boost the algorithm that helps us move up the iTunes rankings and helps more people discover the science of success. Don't forget, if you want to get all the incredible information we talk about in the show, links, transcripts, everything we discuss, and much more, be sure to check out our show notes. You can get those at successpodcast.com. Just hit the show notes button right at the top. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Science of Success. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.